When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on refilling reusable water bottles, accepting invitations from friends of coworkers, concerns about your pet's care when you're away, and rescinding an RSVP when there's a change in venue. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about wanting to be alone while cooking dinner at a party. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript this week on traditions. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post. And we're updating you one more time on book stuff because it's been a wild ride this morning, Dan. We are so close to the, the actual copies landing in the warehouse, which means they can get out to places like independent bookstores, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. <laughs> Pretty much everybody everywhere. Pretty much everybody everywhere. I believe this episode is airing on the 12th, and that means that we we really are either, according to one resource, this is the day the books are supposed to land. According to another, it's two days from now. It takes about two to three days for them to make it to their saleable destinations. And that means that if you have not pre-ordered your book, we highly suggest you do so now. Independent bookstores are still available to take orders on the book. And then that means that when they submit their order to Penguin Random House, yours will be included in it. But for, unfortunately, uh, places like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble don't allow for pre-orders when they don't have stock in their warehouses. So your best bet right now is to be ordering through your own local independent bookstore or go through ours, Bridgeside Books. There is a link on every page of our website. Dan, that's the book news really quickly. Do you want to share the news about the wonderful event that we had at Bridgeside Books? I would be most delighted. And I want to start off by thanking those of you who are listening right now who made it out to the event. It was such a pleasure to see you there, to meet you, to hear your voices and see your faces. It was really, really nice. And what I'm talking about is the event that we did at Bridgeside Books, which was advertised as a live mini micro version of the podcast come ask lizzie and dan questions <laughs> discussion yeah <laughs> and it was so much fun to have an event where it didn't feel really presentational to me yeah. anyway and because it was in the town of waterbury vermont which is my hometown the the town i grew up in i've known 
the building that that bookstore's in since it was candlestick bowling and <laughs> all kinds of different things over the years. It was a gym years. at one point. <laughs> it's in all kinds of stuff. <laughs> I was a little nervous, Lizzie, because I knew there would be people in the crowd who I knew very well. And I knew there would be people in the crowd who I'd known for a long time who maybe didn't know me so, so well, but had known me for a long time. And mm -hmm. that's a different kind of knowing. And it also matters to me. And mm -hmm. it was so much fun. It was so much fun to get to be our Emily Post selves in the town of Waterbury, Vermont, <laughs> to share that with everybody and to hear the questions that a Vermont audience brought and, and a New Hampshire audience. We had some folks and a who New Hampshire audience. Drive. I'm so glad you brought that up because we do, ha we did have at least two guests from New Hampshire. One was our friend who we have learned now works in, at Dartmouth in a lab and that is Kenneth. And that was really exciting. We've answered a few of Kenneth's questions on the show. And my favorite comment from Kenneth was that we sound different because Kenneth's listening on two times the speed. And so it was like, oh my gosh, you guys sound really different when I'm hearing your normal cadence. <laughs> and that cracked me up. But I also appreciated Kenneth gave really lo lovely compliments, um, said we were very eloquent and well put together. And it was really nice to hear that. Often I talk about how nervous and insecure I am on the show. And so it was, it was nice to hear someone say, yeah, you don't come across like that in real life. But it was also incredibly grateful to sustaining member Scott for coming. He brought some treats for Sunny, which Scott, I can tell you, Sunny really loved them. But we were we were really touched by these folks driving so far and really engaging in the discussion. There was a couple who was Mud and Poppies, our grandparents' friends. Mm -hmm. That felt like having them there. It really did. Like it, it felt so incredibly meaningful to have people who were so close to Mud and Poppy hanging out and listening and and pay, keeping an eye on Emily Post, you know? I also had my the person I dog sit for came and one of my, like, I was nearest, what about your high school friend? I was gonna say, yeah, like, one of my nearest and dearest Lizzie from, had more local friends and contacts there than I did, just so everybody knows. That's true, your parents came. <laughs> my parents have to come. <laughs> But it was it was really cool. Um, one of my nearest and dearest from high school, Aaron, was there. And he is just one of my favorite people. And I was so, audience, I want to tell you for a second about how inspired I was by getting a chance to talk with him again. In high Me school. Too, Lizzie Post, just so you know. Sorry to interrupt. I know that was a topic a couple weeks ago, but okay. I very much enjoyed meeting your, your friend Aaron my friend as well. Too. He's just so cool and he has such a great spirit and he has such a thoughtful brain. Aaron's brain is very curious and he likes to think about the things that he's hearing. So he was really into the discussion that we had. It really opened up a lot of things for him. And for me, getting to talk with him both during the session and afterwards, it really felt like it ignited in me like a I don't know because it's not like I haven't had these experiences with other people but the depth of conversation and the places you could go in such a safe space with Aaron when you talk to him is so wonderful and I was just so filled with reminiscence for why we had become such good friends I mean not only was he fun and wacky and we would do crazy things together but also like the depth of conversation was so stimulating and I just felt that you know 20 plus years later 
it was so great to be in that space. It was ama- I've met his wife before. I had I, I don't think I had met his daughter um, since she was maybe a baby. Maybe the last time I saw them, they were pregnant with her. I can't remember. But it was so great to meet his daughter and and see him as a parent. And it was just so inspiring. It might have been one of my favorite events that we've done. It, but but that's also hometown territory. So you know I can see why. But so many great people. So many great questions. We had a a great cannabis question came up. We had awesome questions about culture and diversity and how do we handle that at Emily Post. We had good questions about just what it's like in a world where we're so exposed to what seems like a lot of incivility, whether it's by example and entertainment or it's actually in your personal life or it's on the news. It was really a stimulating conversation. So I really want to thank everybody who came and the Bridgeside gals who put it on. It was just really a a really stimulating event, I felt like. Lizzie Post, there's a whole other angle of this event that I just have to bring up as well, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is that when we originally scheduled it, you had so many traveling book events on your calendar (laughs) that we had said, all right, Dan, this event's kind of your responsibility, right? You got to do it. I think I threw it at you. I was like, you deal with this one. (laughs) You've got to organize it and organize it. Stop by Bridgeside Books, my local bookstore, and say, hey, yes, we'd love to do that with you. And they did do such a great job putting it all together. It, it was very little lifting on Lizzie and Mai's part. Yeah. I noticed that you would not have missed this event by the time it approached. The question of whether you would be too tired and I would just have to do it on my own was just gone out the window. It was. And – Ever since we've been working with Bridgeside, Lizzie Boast has been out in Waterbury, I want to tell everyone out there, at least (laughs) once a week, and sometimes more. And you also came out for the Festival of Lights Parade this weekend, which is the great annual event, solstice event in the town of Waterbury, where we build lanterns over the course of the year. And then on some of the darkest days of the year, there is a parade of light and each year there's a different theme and each year this parade gets a little bigger and a little bigger. And the whole downtown of Waterbury is just a, a festival of lights for one night of the it's year. Magical. And it's followed by bonfires <laughs> and hot chocolate and good company. And Lizzie Post has been coming out to it. You've been listening to us talk about this on the show for years now. <laughs> if you've been year listening I got for mad years, at both of us for not getting there. <laughs> and then the very first year where I was telling you all about it and saying you've got to come, and then the second year like, again, yeah, and then the third year you did, and, then... <laughs> and it was awesome. And then I never wanted to miss it and missed it for like two years running, and now I'm back. <laughs> And it was, what, the second, third time that week you'd been in Waterbury? I yeah. think we're starting to get you. I think we're getting our little hooks in you. Well, especially now that I know some old friends live in Waterbury, too. Mm-hmm. I'm like, my goodness, am I going to have to move? I don't think so. Um, but it's uh, I love the River of Light. I absolutely do. It really does look like a River of Light once the whole parade gets moving down Main Street. I mean, it's really gorgeous. I really do enjoy Waterbury, Vermont quite a lot. The girls and I from Bridgeside, Katya and Jenna, they very sweetly took me out to dinner after our talk. And I remember the the restaurant that we were in, it was so bright and lively. They had a musician, a lot of people, you know, either out with their partner, or out on a date, out with a friend. It just felt very lively. A Thursday um, without, night. Without being in your face. So very Vermont, right? We're polite but private. Um, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was really wonderful. And the meal was spectacular. And it just, it, it did. I've really 
really enjoyed spending as much time as I have in Waterbury, maybe wishing I had an electric car at this point for the number (laughs) of trips I'm taking over there. But it's been really a great community to kind of jump into and to be very festive in. It's nice. It's I I like it. I dig it. (laughs) I'm enjoying it. Out of our shells here in Waterbury, Vermont. We we love hosting. So glad you could come, Lizzie. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. And you know, Dan, I got to say, I love hosting this podcast. Do you think we should get to some of our questions today? I do. Let's Let's do do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question this week is about water woes. Hmm. Hello, Dan and Lizzie. I can't express my gratitude enough for your guidance as I encounter the awkward situations of entering the working world, navigating a global pandemic, and generally becoming an adult and learning new etiquette. Like many people, I have started carrying around a reusable water bottle to try and increase my water intake and reduce my plastic use. I have a question about the appropriate locations to refill this bottle. I know when there is a water fountain, especially one with a water bottle filler, I am good to go. For reference, I'm talking about a very typical water fountain, like one you would find in an elementary school. But what about in situations like a fast food restaurant or a gas station on a road trip? 
Is it appropriate to fill my water bottle in the area where the other soft drinks are, assuming I only take water, not filling up with soda, and I purchase something else? Sometimes coffee shops and cafes will have an area where you can fill up a water cup provided from the establishment. Would it be appropriate to fill up my water bottle there? This, of course, is assuming that my water bottle is not touching the spout of the water fountain, but I can still see how this may not be proper etiquette as we navigate the end of a pandemic. Would it be better to take a clean water cup and pour the water from that cup into my bottle? Sometimes it can defeat the purpose if the cup is single-use. Pre-COVID, at coffee shops, sometimes I would have baristas ask if I wanted my water bottle filled up with the water behind the counter, but I have never asked for this myself. Would that be appropriate to do, assuming I purchased something? What do you think? Where is it appropriate to <laughs> fill up a water bottle? Kindly, dehydrated and confused. <laughs> I love that sign-off, dehydrated and confused. Not that I'm trying to laugh at being either, but the two together are kind of funny because I know when I get dehydrated, I get a little confused. <laughs> There's also a very sweet PS with this. A few episodes ago, Dan mentioned he wanted to write a book about making friends as an adult. Please do. That would be incredibly helpful and interesting from an etiquette perspective. Take note. People are asking, Dan, the friendship book. Well, I need it. I need someone to write it for me. But I can help. <laughs> <laughs> When I, I think about this, I think that dehydrated and confused has already thought of a lot of the etiquette behind this. And I kind of like as the as the questions came up, I felt like answering them quickly, you know, yeah. a fast food restaurant or a gas station when you're on a road trip. I, I feel like anytime I'm filling up from a fountain that could have uh, a bunch of like a, a soda fountain that could have a bunch of different drinks on it. Mm -hmm. I feel like letting the people behind the counter know or asking them is probably the better way to approach this. If I can fill up with my water bottle at that spot is a good idea because it helps them to just know, oh, that person's not just grabbing a Coke or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I do feel like if it's not the situation where it's like a container of water that's been set out with cups, that's when I would just be asking. That way folks who work there know what I'm up to. I like the idea of purchasing something if you're going to be asking them for their water. I think less of an issue if you're in there and there there is free water, but I do believe that water is supposed to be for customers. So, so, so maybe I'm backtracking and saying that the the purchasing of, of something at the establishment, I think, is probably a good way to go. But I, I don't know, Dan, what are, how are you feeling about this particular one? There's a, by the way, there's a lot more to cover. I like stopped quickly here. There's like the issue of the sanitation. There's the issue of asking versus being offered. There's a lot of stuff to go into here. Yeah, that's the way I was doing it. I was dividing okay. it up in my head and saying, okay, there's location and then there's sanitation or, or, or cleanliness. The, the question of the soda fountain versus the water that's left out in a pitcher or asking someone to get you water from behind a counter mm -hmm. to me has to do with the amount of effort that the establishment puts in. Mm -hmm. I was putting the soda fountain in one category. There's mm -hmm. water there. I think people generally think of it as free and available. I like your added courtesy of letting someone know via an ask that you're take yeah. not taking the soda, but if it was really busy or the, the person behind the register wasn't really monitoring or tracking the soda fountain, I think you're, in most cases, pretty good to, to take that water and not worry about it. It's, it's, it's a free thing and it doesn't ask much of the establishment and it probably gets you in the door purchasing a little something or filling up. 
the situation where there's the pitcher or the ass from behind the counter to me feels like you're you're using the resources of the establishment a little bit more and because the person has to do it for you and exactly a resource. Yeah, because totally. there's that service component then i think yeah. you really do want to have purchased a little something i think water is a small enough ask that i wouldn't just walk in off the street and take it if i didn't really need it if i could i'd buy a little something and i think you'd be well covered then to help yourself or to make the ask for behind the counter. I think the courtesy question and the environmental question about using the single-use cup to fill up your water <laughs> know, bottle right? at the fountain is a hard one. Because I, in my mind, I want to say it's not that big a deal. Don't worry about it. And, and also <laughs> coming from a time where people draw that line in very different places. And maybe yeah. a year and a half ago, I would have said, oh, be really careful. We're all watching. We don't know. And I, I want to respect. You mean about that. like germs or something Ex like that? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now it's like eh, environmentalism might be our bigger driver than pandemic germs. Exactly, and that, that's mm -hmm. a tough call. I don't think there's a, a solid etiquette answer there. I think you're kind of evaluating the different social pressures and expectations that are at play. And I wish I had a solid, solid answer for you there. Mm -hmm. So I find myself a little bit equivocal in that answer, a little bit like you, Lizzie Post. <laughs> So dehydrated and confused, these are all such excellent questions. And for sort of a quick wrap up, I'm feeling, Dan, like if you purchase something, we feel really confident that asking to fill up the water bottle is totally fine. I feel like if you haven't purchased anything, just be prepared if you do ask for people to turn you down and say, oh, you know, it's really only for paying customers. Um, whether that's a fill up from behind the counter, from the soda fountain or from the water jug that's been placed out for water. I think if you're not purchasing something, just be prepared for that ask to maybe be met with a, it's only for paying customers. And then when it comes to cleanliness, I think no matter what, if it's self-serve or if you're handing it over, I think just giving a wipe of the rim of the, the bottle is a good idea just because we all have come out of a pandemic. And then if you are going to do the soda fountain, I think just checking in, I mean, we've kind of already said ask first, but checking in just so that folks know you're grabbing water out of there and not a soda is a really, really good idea. But I think by keeping these things in mind, dehydrated and confused, hopefully we will get you to a position of being both hydrated and confident when you step into a store to grab some water. And while we are using and enjoying it, let's remember this about water. It's essential to life. It's abundant in nature. But let's keep in mind the time, the money and the labor that's spent to produce our great water supply system. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This question is titled, Invite Issue. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love your podcast, and you were extremely helpful in answering one of my questions on your show previously. I had another etiquette question that I was wondering about. A group of coworkers and I had signed up for an obstacle race course. One of my coworkers also had several friends from high school that were doing the race. At the last minute, everyone except for me and the coworker with the existing friend group bailed. 
We had already purchased the Airbnb, and I wanted to complete the race, so I wound up attending anyways and hanging out with this individual and their friends from high school during the weekend. My coworker is a great and thoughtful colleague, and I want to be friends with them. However, we just don't seem to click as friends or have that friend rapport where conversations happen effortlessly and easily. I know friendships take time, but I feel like it would have happened by now. I've sometimes even wondered if this person doesn't like me. They often don't make eye contact with me in group interactions and sometimes give closed off body language and something feels a little off in many of our interactions. However, the weekend was a lot of fun and I really clicked with this person's friends. In the aftermath of the obstacle course race, I was invited by one of the coworkers' friends that I had met to join their team in a different obstacle course race through a group Facebook message that included everyone from the previous race. I was the only person from my workplace other than the coworker that I met them through who was invited. Although I really liked this group of people and appreciated the invitation, I worried that I would be intruding as they are longtime friends and sometimes I am unsure if the coworker likes me or wants to be friends with me at all. I responded to the group message and that I had other plans on that weekend and wasn't able to attend, but to count me in for the next time. Was this the right move from an etiquette standpoint, both the response and the manner of delivery? I feel a little bummed to lose out on an opportunity to make new friends, but I also don't want to intrude or make my coworker uncomfortable, given that they were not particularly close and did not invite me. If I do get invited to future races, do you think it's okay to attend sporadically? Sincerely, Anonymous. Oh. Anonymous, thank you so much for the question. In some ways, I, I want to hang on to your contact. If we write that book on making friends as adults, you might be <laughs> a real asset. Totally. It sounds like people want to be your friend. I want to applaud you. It sounds like the obstacle course race went well and you really connected and, and got along well with the folks that were there, even though a lot of the people from your work had bailed and it was just you and this one other person. My big picture thought is that I think you are in really good shape here. I think you can enjoy the positive response that you're getting as you meet these new people. And from an etiquette perspective, I'm really focusing on the invitation itself, that you've been invited to do something. And it's really up to you whether or not you want to accept that. And we talk on this show a lot about whether or not hosts should make guest lists public or whether hosts should talk with people about the other people that are attending or not. And a lot of the thinking around whether we share guest lists or care about who else is invited is that you're, in the end, not supposed to pay that much attention to those things. You're supposed to think about what it is the host is inviting you to do and whether or not you want to participate, whether or not you think that sounds like something you would enjoy, would want to yeah. do, can do. And in this case, it sounds like it might be. And I wouldn't overcomplicate that issue in my head. I would say, is this something I want to go do? And if it is, if I'd like to get to know this group of people better, I would go do it. And I think you're wise. I think there's a, a part of your brain that's paying attention to and tracking the, the history of the relationships that these people have all had, that you know a person in common with these people that you're getting to know. And I think you want to stay aware of that. You want to think about it. There are certainly ways that you could give offense to somebody when people all know each other, but... I wouldn't assume that that's going to happen or let that impede a new friendship or a new relationship or even just going to do something that you really enjoyed. 
Lizzie, am I missing something here? Are there are there elements where there's more risk involved with the the new friends and the the coworker that I'm that I'm not picking up on? No, I don't think so. And in my head, I'm having a very Peter Post, my father's reaction to this, and and saying, "Go, go, make friends, accept invitations, say yes to doing things you think were fun or or will be fun." That that's the way to live life well. I think that if if there was let's let's just say let's let's nurse or entertain this little nagging thought of oh but the coworker I don't really bond with you know are they going to be upset that all their friends are excited about me or inviting me into this group if the coworker has that kind of problem at some point they're going to talk to other people about it and say hey maybe maybe we don't invite you know anonymous to this one and and you just won't be included in that. Like that's it's it's one of those where I think if this is a thing, I think it would show up over time slowly and maybe even quietly. It might be the kind of thing that helps you bond with that coworker more over time. It might be that you guys never really click, but that you do really click with this coworker's high school friends. And remember, they're high school friends. Like, I don't know how much they all see each other regularly, you know? Mm-hmm. I can think of friends I've met over the years that have been friend groups. Like, um, I have a friend, Gillian. I went to her wedding and ended up bonding with a bunch of her now husband's friends. And that whole crew and I every now and again shoot text messages to each other and stuff. And she just had to laugh because she was like, I, you know, I knew you were going to get along with everybody at this wedding, but I didn't realize how well you like that you'd be like absorbed into my husband's friends group. Like, you know, and it was she was tickled pink by it and thought it was really funny. It was sort of an unexpected pairing, you know what I mean? <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I think it just, it, it can be that this happens in our lives. And I like the idea of focusing on responding to invitations and responding to them in a way that feels honest and good rather than in a way that comes based on a lot of guesswork. I totally understand that that not making eye contact and not having good conversational rapport could lead you to think that that this person isn't really looking to build up a relationship with you. Some people just aren't good at making eye contact or conversation well with people that are from work or from a, sort of a s- certain stage in their lives. You know, those that friend group this person is in might be like a real comfort zone for them. Or it might just be people they decided to touch base with, you know, and and they do a once a year Thanksgiving thing or they, you know, hadn't seen each other all in fact. I just have no idea like what that friend group is about, how the connections between the friend group and the coworker really live and and how they function. And so with all that guesswork that would have to go on at this point to figure that out, I think the advice to go straight on focusing on the invitation and deciding whether you'd like to go or not is definitely the way to go from an etiquette perspective. Anonymous, we hope that you continue to have a great time. And if you do decide to join these friends for another obstacle course adventure, that it is as much of a success as the last one was. Stay focused on the invitation, and we trust you're going to handle the etiquette with your coworker as you go along. How can you find friends, Joey wonders? Joey has also found that our new friends often come to like our old friends. Just as Joey's new friends like ginger. It is fun to be with your friends. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is about care concerns. Mm. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a longtime listener, but this is the first time I've written into the podcast. Listening to episode 429 has prompted me to write you. The listener question regarding dog sitting has me thinking about a recent situation that we faced. We have had a teenage neighbor feed and walk our dog on several occasions when we've been out of town for a weekend. This young person has been responsible and our dog has been well cared for on the previous occasions. Over the Thanksgiving weekend, we asked them to feed and walk our dog while we were out from town from Wednesday evening to Saturday morning. Because we have a camera on our front doorbell, we could tell that this young person had not come over to feed our dog as of noon on Thanksgiving. Uh I sent a gentle text asking how things were going, and soon thereafter, we saw that this young person had come over to feed our dog. They were only in the house for about five minutes. The same thing happened on Friday and on Saturday morning. I did not text that we were keeping track on the camera, but just sent general texts asking how it was going. It should also be noted that the weather was terrible during this time, rainy and cold. Upon our return on Saturday afternoon, it was evident that just the minimum had been done. Our dog had not been out to get water or walked. Ultimately, he is healthy and was not harmed, but was very thirsty and had drunk down all the water in the toilet. Gross, I know, but this is not his usual M.O. I know this was a holiday time. And this young person is a 16-year-old who probably wanted to sleep in and spend time with family rather than walk our dog in bad weather and rain. However, we were paying this person to come over twice a day and make sure that our dog had adequate food, water, and a little exercise out in the yard even if it was too rainy to go on a walk. Our question comes here. My husband wants to speak to this young person about not taking adequate care of our dog, and I prefer to not say anything but just not hire them again. They are across-the-street neighbors, and I don't want to create any friction. I can see my husband's perspective, because this could have been really dangerous for our dog had we been gone much longer, and we would not want this to happen to anyone else's pets. Should we speak to her parents or to her? Any suggestions on sample script? Thanks so much. Concerned about care. (laughs) Oh, concerned about care. This is like one of my biggest fears. And I'm sorry that you and your dog were put in this situation. I tend to go right with the line that my cousin has as our first bullet point, which is dogs are living creatures. I'd say something about it. I think that this care was lackluster enough and that you were paying for it and that it could have caused damage to the dog. And therefore, in fact, I mean, I'd go so far to say that it does like three or four days of no walks, limited water and a single instance of feeding as opposed to two is not acceptable in any way, shape or form. The place where I I struggle, Dan, and maybe being a parent, you can let me know, but is whether or not you'd actually sit down with the parents and the kid. Now, technically, you've hired the kid and they're 16, and I tend to like to put teenagers in a category of when they are operating as individuals, which I feel like this is. You're, you're paying the individual, not the parents, not the whole family. This wasn't like, hey, guys, could you all watch my dog while we're away? 
this was, hey, you know, we'll name the kid, I don't know, Andy. Andy, can you watch the dog while we're away? And I just feel like the the age is a really tough one for me to call whether or not to let the parents know what had happened because I feel like the relationship feels more directly with the with the teenager. And so anyway, that's that I'm debating. But I think this is an absolutely you got to talk about it. You've paid this person. They didn't do the job well. I first I mean, I might have even considered not paying them as much as I had offered because it really didn't get done. But I think saying to them, I'd like to schedule a time for us to talk about the care of the dog while we were gone because it wasn't what we're used to from you. And we want to find out what happened so that we can make decisions about whether or not we're going to ask you again. And I think it's a good lesson learning moment for a kid of any age. I just don't think letting this go is an okay thing to do personally. Lizzie, I am making an effort not to call you the master of sample scripts because I know you don't want the pressure of that put on you. But I really liked the sample script (laughs) that you just gave. And it made me think about the answer that I was going to give a little differently. Yeah. And what I really liked about it was that you came in to your imagined discussion with this person curious a little bit, wanting to know what happened. Did something happen? Why was it different this time than previous times? And Mm – In my Mm -hmm. way of thinking, I was just saying to myself, this didn't go well. And it went badly enough that if I were to put myself in the other person's shoes, if I was to imagine myself as that 16-year-old, I might not want it in the moment, but big picture in my life, I would want someone to talk to me about what that experience was when I let them down that way, when I didn't show up to take care of their dog in the ways that they would have really hoped that I understood it was important to do. And to me personally, that message would be best delivered if the person was treating me like an adult, like a responsible person who they were disappointed in, not angry with, not scolding, but wanting Mm -hmm. to let me know that it was enough of a a letdown that they felt they should tell me. And that that would be the reason that they weren't going to be, hiring me to do this at some point again in the future. And they wanted that to be understood and clear and not unspoken in the relationship with a neighbor or someone who'd done this successfully before. Mm -hmm. I prefer your version of the sample script. I like the not giving into the curiosity. Oh, what happened? Just assuming that there's a good explanation, but a willingness for that space to exist in your mind is the, Mm -hmm. the kind of attitude that I would really want to bring into that meeting um, or that discussion that it's not about, anger. It's not about scolding. It's not about extracting an apology. It's really about letting them know how disappointed you are and that that you're not planning on using that service or, or employing them in that way again. I'd hold off on actually saying yes or no to future visits until after I'd had that interaction. Personally, I'd be wanting to see the accountability and I'd be wanting to see some ownership of what happened and an explanation for why this time was so different. Mm-hmm before I decided I'd never do it again. Or if I was to do it again, it might be the kind of thing where I I might say to the kid, I really want to be able to hire you again. I did jobs like this when I was younger and it really did well for me. Or I really valued the fact that as neighbors, we could, you know, employ the kid next door. I really actually love that part of this neighborhood and, and this exchange. And I we were so happy with what had happened the first few times we did it. 
this really felt like a breach of trust. And I would I, I feel like getting to the the conversation, having the conversation with the kid lets me feel more like, oh, this was a fluke or, oh, this was not a fluke or, oh, maybe at least with the parents knowing that I'm coming over to talk about how badly this time went, you know, maybe they are a little bit more active in encouraging the kid to go over and take care of the duties. I don't know. Again, we're dealing with a 16-year-old. Sometimes they're in the adult category. Sometimes they're in the young teen category. And I like the idea of the conversation kind of illuminating a bit more about this young person's commitment to the job, giving the kid the space to say, I, should, I shouldn't have taken it on. I, I really wasn't feeling like doing it, and so I didn't do as good a job. Sometimes kids say that kind of stuff. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's just excuses or silence, and, and I don't know what you'd get in this particular conversation. But I do think having the conversation gives you a chance to, I think – address it responsibly and I think put a reality in front of this kid that they need to see. You just can't just shirk out on your responsibilities when another living being is under your care. Now, the other question that I thought was interesting is whether or not to involve the parents of the teen. Right. And I, like you, I was saying to myself, if the agreements between you and the 16-year-old and you pay them and your communication is with them, that you – address the issues that you've had with them as well. I think there's room to talk to the parents. I don't know how well the adults in this situation know each other, if it would be Mm -hmm. awkward or if it would feel like a deception, like you're keeping something from them. You might Mm -hmm. include them in the conversation or you might let them know that the conversation is going to happen, has happened. I I wouldn't treat it like a secret. Yes. But I would let my relationship with the other adults really determine how involved they need to be, should be. But I would really keep the focus on on the teen if the relationship had primarily been with the teen about this particular activity. Before we leave this question, Lizzie Post, there is one other really big etiquette issue here. And it's not really big, but it's a new etiquette issue. And it's worth mentioning. Yeah. Pop quiz. Yeah. You have a camera at your home. You have other people oh, yeah. coming to work for you. How do you talk with them about that? Do I let them know. Let them know. <laughs> That you're going to know how often they stop by, that your doorbell is going to track that ahead of time? I do. I I think it's a good one. I appreciate knowing when my neighbor got – you guys have heard me talk about the cat care that my neighbors and I do for each other all the time. Um, I appreciated knowing when they had a nest set up so that they could actually see me coming and going from the front door. It also makes me more communicative. I write to them and let them know if I'm going to be late because I know that they could check that door anytime. <laughs> and she's really sweet. She tells me, I don't even bother checking it when you're there. But when they, sometimes there's multiples of us. Sometimes they'll get like me to do a week and then I'm gone to my parents or something like that. And so they are, they've got someone else filling in and they say, hey, we didn't see so-and-so, you know, pop by on the camera. Can you like double check? <laughs> like something like that is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've learned, I just, I, I, I let the, I let people know if I'm going to be late for their animals, you know, ahead of time rather than being caught afterwards. This is one of the new etiquettes we talk about in the centennial edition of etiquette that mm-hmm. we are all navigating different types of privacy in our lives and different levels and degrees of monitoring and letting people know, particularly people that work in your home, if there are going to be cameras running is a both a nice courtesy and, as Lizzie's pointing out, might be a way to introduce a little accountability, particularly with 
a teenager who's working for you and doing something as important as taking care of a pet. Concerned about care, we're so sorry that this happened. What an unfortunate thing to come home to or to be dealing with while you're away for the holidays. But we hope that our answer helps, that you're able to find consistent and good care in the future and continue good relationships in your neighborhood. And if we had taken time to play with him, perhaps he wouldn't have been so much trouble. Now go on over and make friends with him again. You're not a bad doggy, Penny. What you did just wasn't nice, Frank said. But I guess we weren't nice to you, were we? We love you, Penny. We always will. Our next question is titled, Vexed Over the Venue. I have my own etiquette conundrum. I was invited to a child's birthday party at a club very close to my house. After RSVPing yes, the hosts changed the venue, and I am not as keen to attend anymore as it is further away and parking at a mall during Christmas is tough. I don't know how to quote-unquote get out of this now that it's at a different venue that just doesn't align as easily. Thank you kindly for your advice, Kathleen. Kathleen, I personally find this such a tough call. I would have a hard time deciding how exactly to handle this, but thinking purely from an etiquette perspective, when there is a venue change, it gives you a moment of opportunity to back out or to reopen up the discussion that would normally have happened right after an invitation is issued, where usually you're saying, yes, I'm going to come. No, I'm not going to come. Or there's some other thing that you need to know about. But if you did want to back out of this now or or rescind your acceptance of the invitation, my big picture etiquette thought is to do it as quickly as possible to really keep the focus on clearly declining the invitation and avoiding lying in the process. It's not that mm -hmm. something came up or – um, some well, the other thing that came up was the venue change. <laughs> little that white is lie. the thing that came up. <laughs> I, can I try some sample script on you, Lizzie Bose? Go for it. Let's hear him. It's going to be difficult for us to make the party. I'm so sorry. I wanted to let you know as soon as I could. And if that was a response to the contact that the venue has been changed, I think it would be well understood that it was in response to the venue change. And I think you'd be in pretty good shape etiquette-wise. So I'd tweak your sample script a little bit. Let's hear it. I'm so curious. It's going to be difficult for us to make it to the party. Sounds like a little hemi-hawy to me. Mm. I think that if we're responding to the venue change and the venue really is preventing us from being able to attend the party now, I would just call that out and say, oh, man, unfortunately, Due to the way our day is scheduled or due to our day with a venue change, that's unfortunately we can't make it anymore. I think I'd be more decisive mm -hmm. rather than difficult to because if it's like I, I'm like going, OK, so it might be a little difficult, but are you coming or not? You know what I mean? Might be the follow up that you get. And so I, I like the idea of just being clear, like with the venue change, we're no longer going to be able to make it to the party, but we really hope you have a good time. My follow up thought, though, Dan. Yeah is really let's really think about this because right now I and I, I totally want to place validity on convenience as a thing and that so, sometimes that really is the thing sometimes something just is too inconvenient to go to but we're talking about I believe a child's birthday party here 
So I don't know if Kathleen is like in my position where she might be an auntie or a friend of a couple who has kids but isn't bringing a child to that party. And then I'm putting a lot more like, okay, like not, not maybe as unless you're like the most important adult in this child's life outside of their parents, then I, I think you've got a lot more wiggle room. But if we're talking about bringing a kid to another kid's party, that's one where I try really hard to make that happen if if I was yeah. a parent personally, because I feel like birthday parties are really important days for kids. Not every kid has a giant social group. Not every kid feels secure about their their social groups. And that everybody knows how devastating it is to a little kid when people really drop out of that birthday party. And so I'm letting that both good feeling of wanting to show up and be there for kids, especially on their special day, lead me, as well as a little bit of I'm going to just put it out there. Like I I would probably guilt trip myself a bit. I might be like, oh, gosh, I don't want to go. I don't want to park. I don't want to deal with all of this. And I recognize in some places parking does mean like a half mile walk to a place. Like, I mean, there could be a lot going on here that makes that parking situation a big, yeah. big deal. But if it really is just coming down to convenience, I'm probably going to tell myself I need to get to this party. I've said yes. I'm not going to let something like a parking lot get in my way of this kid having a good birthday. So two things I really like about that. One, I like on your sample script how you remember to include the thing I forgot, which is and have a great time mm. or or some sort of forward mm. thinking affirmation, totally. positive <laughs> thought. I hope the party's a huge hit, whatever that is. I also like the way you were really narrowing down and looking at what is the issue and saying to yourself, is it really a question of convenience? And I think that's where my wishy-washiness came from in my sample script. Totally. <laughs> and in some ways, I think totally. I was thinking of it's going to be difficult and, and probably the tone is wrong, but maybe the language is accurate in that it's acknowledging that this is a question of convenience. It's not I'm trying to not use language that's so definitive. I, I, I can't make it now or it's not possible for me to. Mm -hmm. If it really is a question of convenience, I think that's tough. And I also think it's an awkward position for a host to put people in when you do receive the acceptance and the then venue. change the venue. And the new venue is less convenient for some yeah. people. And it, it puts the pressure on them of either – acknowledging that and just bearing the cost of it or changing their plans, but having their plans change based on a, a question, not of the possibility of attendance, but how convenient or not it is or how manageable it is if we don't want to color it by calling it convenient or inconvenient. But it's a, it's a good reminder mm -hmm. to me also of the etiquette of being consistent as a host and really trying to avoid that sort of putting that sort of imposition or even making that kind of asks of guests if you can help it. Kathleen, that is a long answer to a short question, but there's certainly a lot to think about here. We really appreciate you asking it and hope that you will keep us posted. Let us know what you decide and how it goes. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show.
If you're loving awesome etiquette, please consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to our Substack. That's at emilypost.substack. That's S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. There you'll get an ads-free version of the show, access to bonus questions and content, including our discussion threads and community, as well as access to live phone calls. We are really excited about this new space. And if you're thinking, boy, that sounds a lot like your sustaining membership, it is. We are moving our sustaining membership from Patreon to Substack. So please, please join us there. We know that you'll feel great helping to keep awesome etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already paid subscribers, thank you so much for your support. We have been so excited about our time with you in this wonderful Substack space. It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today, we have feedback from Anonymous about the pregnancy super smell question in episode 427. Mm. Hello. Thank you for a wonderful podcast. I have a note of feedback, or just an additional idea, for the caller from episode 427. This caller was asking for advice on how to navigate her pregnancy superpower of smell sensitivity, especially when sharing a small space with a colleague who brings pungent foods for snacks, which was making the caller feel ill. The advice given was to ask the colleague to eat in a separate room. I would expand on this to suggest that the whole group takes their breaks outside of the small, unventilated room. I can imagine it would be difficult to suggest the colleague, a self-proclaimed introvert, go eat alone elsewhere while the rest of the group stays together during break, likely also having social time. This may single that colleague out, exclude them, or make them feel guilty or banished. Perhaps the whole group can all have break and snack time together in another room that is larger, better ventilated, or, if climate allows, even take breaks outside. This way, all food smells stay outside of the room. This solution also allows the caller to make a blanket ask of the whole group and not single out this one colleague. She can ask the group to instate a new no-eating-in-the-classroom rule, describe how this would help with her odor sensitivity, and suggest that they all enjoy their breaks and food elsewhere. Benefits of a change in scenery are good for everyone, and instead of situating the problem in the one colleague who brings in smelly foods, the caller makes it about herself and how the whole group can support her during this sensitive and exciting time. I hope this helps. Thank you again for all you do to make our world a kinder place. Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you so much for this follow-up, and I love the adoption of the pregnancy superpower concept. It is such a remarkable... <laughs> How did you put it? Sensitive and exciting time. Um, <laughs> totally. We really appreciate the thoughtfulness and care of your answer, the efforts to not single anyone out or make anyone feel like they are the problem is really the heart of good etiquette. And we hope that all of our answers do that and do that well. Thank you so much for the feedback. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today, it's all about traditions, both how we honor them and how we might change or even abandon them. 
it all has a whole lot of etiquette surrounding it. So Dan, I figured we would just jump right in today. No, no reading or quote to kick us off. But my first real thought here is that there are so many different ways that a change in a tradition might take place. It might be we're hosting at so-and-so's house this year, or we are not going to host at our house this year. Or it might be that we want to start or stop a certain part of our festivities. It might be not our fault, right? We just dealt with a number of years, two years for sure, where we were dealing with uh, changes up to our traditions due to the pandemic and and whether or not we were even allowed to go see people or whether it was going to feel safe to go see people. I know wildfires also did a lot of damage in that department. It could be something personal like someone is uh, sick or injured this year and so things are going to get changed up. So I, I, there's like lots of different ways this comes into being. But changing traditions is something that we really want to take care with. Um, we don't just want to abandon things outright. And we also don't just want to hold on to things if people really don't enjoy them or aren't willing wanting to participate in them anymore. It's so curious to me how the holiday season, the New Year season, can focus a lot of etiquette questions that for us are persistent and ongoing. You and I just updated a 100-year-old book <laughs> for the next 100 years, talking about inheriting traditions, respecting them, honoring them, and at the same time trying to change them in, and move forward in ways that allow them to continue to happen and thrive and be meaningful and relevant in people's lives. And this same process of changing traditions, I think, crystallizes oftentimes around holiday gatherings where people have this annual return or oftentimes there's a an annual return to similar situations or company, a return to family, friends, or certain locations in people's lives. When that can't happen, like the last couple of years for many people and the opportunity to return to those traditions presents itself. I think it's a really natural time to think very clearly in very concrete ways about how traditions matter, how we can take care with them, but how we can also take care with them by being willing to talk about them, change them, evolve them, and, and be part of the process where that happens and happens in a way that works for everyone. And I think that my advice about that is to to do it as early as possible, that as soon as you start to start to ideate, start to think about, start to have a plan for what you want to do. And if that's plan starts to feel or look different than maybe what other people are expecting, I think the sooner you start talking about it, the sooner you open up the communication and get everyone involved or at least on board, depending on what's pushing the change, mm -hmm. the better off everyone's going to be. I think you're right. I also find in suggesting a change or lobbying for a change as it might be in some families. <laughs> if you're not telling people, if you're oh, asking people. Yeah, exactly. Oh, honey is so much sweeter than vinegar on this one. This is one I hope she'll be okay with me sharing it. But I remember my sister at one point about like six or seven years ago wanted us to break out of our standard meal that we do at Thanksgiving. And this pretty much like broke me. It was it, no, not in a bad, I mean, like I did, well, maybe I should say I didn't break. I was the unbudging one, but it, the first time she attempted it, 
it came both with excitement for the idea of new dishes, but also with kind of like a meh attitude about what we do. And it made me younger sister, and you guys can guess on sibling dynamics and laugh about that, but dig my heels in. And I wanted like every dish that we'd ever traditionally had present because I was so terrified of someone taking Yams them away. and sweet potatoes. Yeah, we need, sure. We need all three types of stuffing we usually do. I need this to be the way it's always been. I mean, my little brain just couldn't handle it. But what ended up really working was in having sometimes a really big holiday, um, encouraging guests to bring things outside of our standards helped us open up to some new things. And so sometimes it's not about replacing stuff, but it's about adding things in until a replacement kind of feels natural. Hmm. I am a very food motivated person. And so I also think about this when it comes to not just our Thanksgiving dinner, but our Christmas breakfast. And that was one where we kind of switched over the years from pancakes to French toast. And I really loved the French toast. Then my nephew came along who very cutely called pancakes pika and made pika with his mother every single weekend. So we switched back to pancakes. And (laughs) there have been some other like dishes over the years that have kind of like come and gone and and we've gotten a bit more flexible. Okay. I have gotten more flexible with this, this menu change happening. And it's been kind of fun to like see each year what ends ends up taking place. Whereas before I would be steadfast, hard committed to our bacon and eggs, plus sausage, plus croissant, plus fresh squeezed orange juice, plus what was the other thing I just mentioned? Pancakes, you know, and now it's, it's, it's a little more flexible in the head. I mean, I still insist on the scrambled eggs, but, um, it's funny to me how for me, the thing is like the food and how both, my sister and I have been able to operate within our family's tradition to end up with something that really still feels like Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas morning to us. Dan, I could talk about this for forever. You got. Like, I, I like the me, accommodation <laughs> and the spirit of accommodation. I also like the willingness to admit that sibling determination to win or be right or get your way and dig your heels in till it happens because to just not let your siblings be the ones who change your holiday no yeah exactly and i like it for two reasons one it makes me think of my daughters and how sweet it is when they (laughs) assert themselves and but also it reminds me that sometimes the change of a tradition isn't something that everyone's going to like. And it might be avoidable. It might not be avoidable. It might be that you want to do it and nobody else does. So Mm -hmm. tough. It might be that no things are changing, whether you want them to or not. And it's just something that, that maybe a certain percentage of people aren't going to be happy with Mm -hmm. and ways to acknowledge that I think are important. Also, I think if a tradition changes and it's not something that someone is excited about, or if it's even something that they find hurtful or, painful or makes them sad that acknowledging that can go a long way towards helping to honor the relationship through difficult change. And, and that's sometimes the nature of things. I'm really sorry that such and such isn't going to look like it has before. I know that's Mm -hmm. disappointing and there's not a lot we can do about it or that's, that's the way it is, but I really want to connect in these ways. And Mm -hmm. 
it might be that you can't always make it better or change it or evolve it in a way that works for everybody. And, and it's okay to acknowledge when that happens and, and to be supportive when it affects someone badly. We're going through this in the Post family right now. We have decided after years and years of, well, pandemic aside, after years and years of always doing Christmas afternoon and evening with the entire Vermont Post family clan. And of course, if the posts outside of Vermont want to come, they are more than welcome to. We love it when they do. But we always met up around kind of like two two in the afternoon, you know, and we do a big roast beast and a little cousin gift exchange you've heard us talk about. And it was something we all really loved. It really connected us. But now there are so many we ones in our family that people were just feeling like trying to make the big event, which now has twice as many people at it because of all the little ones. It's everyone agreed that they love seeing all the little mini cousins together. And yet a very large portion, and I'm talking like 98%, me being probably the one, 2%, saying like, no, 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 we really want to move away from this. It is too much. It's too much for the day. It's too much for the kids. It's too much for us. It's just too much. And I really appreciate that our family has given me space to say, just so you know, I'm the one still advocating for it. And also, we know you're bummed about this, Lizzie, but we all really are excited about the July party that we do together now. And in other words, guys, they do that classic thing. They redirect me. They redirect the negative conversation right over to the positive one. And it does help You know what's me. great about the it July event? More yep. people can come to that one because there's less competition. Maybe. I don't know. Previously, <laughs> it was all on our calendars because we didn't have a whole lot of come. No, but I really do feel like even though I'm that person in that I don't want this change to happen, I'm not happy about this. I appreciate the constant effort of the family to both say, we know, and it has been so special. And we really hope that you'll be excited about July. It just, it is the perfect etiquette move I feel like, and even though I'm disgruntled, I feel it because I feel the goodwill of that effort that everyone's making, you know? Well, and as awkward as this is going to be to say, I think your <laughs> sadness makes other people feel good because <laughs> it, it is an event that everyone enjoys Love, and likes. Yeah. There, there are practical reasons and concerns, but just harder for all yeah. these families to get together when – the other sides of all these families are competing for that time and, and, and wanting it as well. We don't fit in any of the houses, guys. We barely fit when we're in a house together. <laughs> and it's nice that there's one person on the squad, on the team, who's just saying, this is not good. I'm going to miss this. I really like this. And uh, I want to keep doing it. And I, I, I've enjoyed your voice being part of that discussion. And it reminds me of something else about tradition that I, yeah. I want to say in a postscript. It's about traditions and how we change them or evolve them or don't. And that's just to acknowledge how important traditions are yeah. that so often we are in situations where we have to figure out what to do and to be part of something that has some consistency to it, that has a feeling of return to it, that has a feeling of being grounded in our relationships with other people or a community of some kind is is really important. It's important psychologically. It's important socially. 
I think it's important to us as individuals to have those things in our lives and to build them and to maintain them and to respect them. And they don't keep happening if we don't take care of them. And I think sometimes it's worth participating in a tradition, even if it's not your favorite thing to do, or if it's even just a little inconvenient, or if it's not the first thing you would choose to do, mm-hmm. sometimes just to maintain it and to to continue on with it and to to allow the good things that tradition provides for us to happen even if it takes a little bit more investment on your part than you would usually trade if that thing, event, experience was something you were evaluating on its own. And just as we talk about tradition, Lizzie, and a little disappointment about a tradition changing, (laughs) I think it's also really evidence for me that it's worth making that effort to participate in tradition. Sometimes even when you're asking yourself and you hear that little voice, it's saying, do I have to do this again this year? I know just what this is going to be. Well, maybe those are all the good reasons to just go for it and be a part of it one more time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Dan and I are not speaking about things that would be harmful to you. We always say that safety supersedes etiquette. If there is a tradition that is really um, uh, maybe it's it's come about in your life that it would now be offensive or that it has been, but maybe you're only just realizing it. These are really important things to talk about. They are important things to bring up or to politely decline participation. And so we do want to put that out there. But for for the most part, we are talking about either traditions that have been going on for a long time, like, you know, our particular meal at something or singing carols together or going for a special walk each year at a certain time or hanging particular things or my personal favorite sitting on the stairs and getting the photo of us all in our pajamas before we go down to see if Santa came. One I have now loved passing on to my niece and nephew. And those that feel kind of more like op- options, things to, things that you could broach changing, that sort of thing. But if you are in a position where something is unhealthy um, or not safe, I think that's that's also something to really consider for yourself and to find polite ways for you to not participate, I think is a really good 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 thing to work on and think about for this particular season. Dan, I'll wrap this segment by saying that this weekend going up to the River of Light Festival and being with your kids and and meeting you at the corner of Main and Stowe Street and joining the actual procession, it started to feel like a little tradition for us. And I was Aww. I was really happy that Sonny and I came up and did that with you and the girls. I'm always pleased as punch for an opportunity to bond more with with your daughters and with William as he as he grows up more. But it really felt like a tradition that I hope we're doing when we're Gaga and Gramps ages and, you know, and that this is still going on because I've I've been really happy about a lot of the traditions that as you've uh, grown a family have extended into my world and I'm really grateful for them. So thank you. And I feel confident speaking for both of us when I say we hope that your holiday season is wonderful and bright and full of friends, family and community. I just love to eat the bulbs off my Christmas tree. Ever since I was a pup, when I smile, my nose lights up. All of the other flamingos wish that they could only be. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. I'll go down in his store.
Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. And don't forget Rudo. You go down in history. <laughs> we like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today we have a salute from Barry. Dear Awesomes, oh, I love that, Barry. That is the best Wait, ever. The thank best. you, thank you, thank you, Barry. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, we should all be Awesomes. If you're a fan, you're now an Awesome. <laughs> I hope you guys like it. You don't have to be. Back to Barry. Dear Awesomes, I've been a big fan of and subscriber to your podcast for as long as I've known it exists, and it's one of a very few podcasts that make it to my Listen ASAP playlist as soon as it arrives in my feed. You're a bright spot in my day when I get to listen. I have an etiquette salute I'd like to share, although it may be as much a good neighbor salute as anything else. Those are etiquette salutes. Please feel free to use it on the podcast. We share an entrance to our condo with one other unit, and there is a small table between our doors. Last year, my lovely and talented wife thought she'd decorate the table for the holidays and included several small plastic animals in a tableau. Our neighbor's two-year-old son was very taken with them, and it became a bit of a game to see where he'd put the animals each day as he came and went from the condo. Rabbits chasing squirrels up a tree and cows riding sleds, etc. <laughs> we all had such a good time with it that the tableau has become a fixture, changing periodically for different seasons. Flowers in spring, farm scenes with tractors in summer, butterflies and leaves in fall, etc., always with an eye towards some element that our neighbor can play with and adjust as he sees fit. My wife is a retired teacher and an artist, so she needed little incentive to keep up the practice and come up with new and creative ways to celebrate each season. But our neighbor found a way to sweeten the pot. This past week, a squeaky dog football showed up on the table with a note that the neighbor's son wanted our dog, a delightful Bichon Frise, to have a toy to enjoy as much as he'd enjoyed playing with the various tableau. And the next day, there was a milkbone treat on the table. It is remarkable how a simple thing, like a shared table, can bring an extra smile into each day. As the late, great Jim Jackson used to say, ain't it nice to be nice when you can be nice. Barry. Oh, my God. Doesn't that just put a smile on your face? <laughs> it sure does. There are so many things about this that put a smile on my face. One is learning the quote, ain't it nice to be nice when you can be nice. I love it. And who it comes from. Jim Jackson. Okay. <laughs> Barry, thank you so much for this salute. And thank you so much for being a sustaining member of the podcast. We are so, so very glad to have you a part of the awesome etiquette community. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everybody who sent us something for the show and to everyone who supports us. We are so grateful for your paid subscriptions on Substack. Please connect with us. Share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us questions, which we definitely need a lot of because Chris is gearing up for another big vacation. 
feedback and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message by phone or send us a text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a subscriber to our Substack. You can find out more about this by visiting us at emilypost.substack.com. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people to find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.